If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, The Child of God. The Child of God. Now, we're all children of God if we're saved. True? But there's only one Son of God, and there's only one Boy Jesus, capitalized in your Bible. There's only one child of the Lord God himself, Jesus Christ. There's never been anyone like Jesus, and there's never been anyone who had a childhood like Jesus, though we don't know a lot about it, and we certainly will not uh, superimpose things that we don't know, uh, and that happens a lot with uh, a lot of false religions. Uh, If you take Jesus' life from his childhood, somewhere between uh, two up through his teen years, and then beyond that, all the way till his ministry at the age of 30, um, all of those years that we don't know much about are called the silent years. You might have heard those terms before. Now you have the silent period as well, where Malachi ends, and there's a 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, to the coming of Jesus, and we have the Gospels. So you have a 400-year period of silence there. But Jesus' life from childhood to adulthood or childhood to the age of 30 uh, are called the silent years because we really don't know. And most specifically, we don't know much, of, we don't know anything uh, from the age of 12, which is what Luke records here, to 30. So those years, uh, there's nothing recorded. Uh, there are false doctrines and false religions out there that have come up with all kinds of crazy things. Uh, even in modern times, one of the ones that's, uh, that's been concocted is Jesus in the silent years uh, went to India and spent time with yoga masters. Yeah. Somebody's came up with that. Um, the Apocrypha writings themselves, not inspired scripture, uh, favorites of the Gnostics, uh, love to uh, perpetrate all kinds of other things to the life of Jesus. And all it is is a spirit of pride. People, uh, he, uh, God gave special revelation and all these things. And the, and the reality is, is that God purposely doesn't tell us. Uh, what we do know is that Jesus lived the faithful life of the son of a carpenter and was an apprentice to his father as a carpenter. But he did it with righteousness and holiness and everything he did honored the Father. That's what we know. But beyond that, uh, people trying to fill in and make up things that he did in the silent years, we don't know. But we do have some insight into his childhood when we kind of look at Matthew and we look at Luke together. Um, Turn just a second. Let's look at Matthew because there is a point of contention with people that are skeptics and don't know the Word of God, looking at the early life of Jesus. Now, when I study the Scriptures, the the one thing the Lord has really impressed upon me, uh, the latter half of 2013, in as much as possible, because every text of Scripture doesn't lend itself uh, to the same degrees of these three things, but in some respects, all of Scripture does lend itself to these three areas, where the Lord has really impressed upon me as a pastor me as a Bible teacher, focus on these three areas when teaching and equipping the saints. Number one, when possible, understand the historical backdrop. And that'll be really important uh, even when we go into, I, I've been amazed, when we go into uh, Bon Air and I talk to young, young people that are 13, 14, 15, 16, 
I'm amazed at how they lean forward and get intently interested when I tell them about the historical backdrop of the scriptures. They start to realize this stuff just might be true. Did you catch what I said? This stuff just might be true. Because not everyone really believes that it is true. There's people who don't even believe Jesus existed. Not because they've ever studied it, but because they've been told all kinds of other falsehoods in the school systems and the universities and everything else that they'll believe things that are unbelievable and not true, but the things that are true, they see no evidence whatsoever. Because the world wants to carve away the historical accuracy of the Bible, the backdrop, all the understanding culturally. I mean, there's no book like the Scriptures on planet Earth that tells us more about ancient times, how it really went, and how it all fit together in world history than the Bible. Every other historical book better match up with this, not the other way around. Amen? Every other historical book has a lot to prove because God was there. And whatever he says, you can trust. Anything else that goes against it is not trustworthy. If it doesn't square with the scriptures, that's where we want to start. So the first, the three things. One, what is the historical backdrop? Number two, what is the spiritual meaning? And three, what is the practical application for us to live by? Which is what Michael uh, was doing just a few minutes ago. The practical application for you uh, living in whatever your station is in life, what God's called you to be, where he's called you to go, how he's called you to live. But with the life of Jesus, the early life of Jesus, you're all familiar with chapter 2, but I want to bring it to your attention so we understand how it fits with Luke chapter 2. Because Matthew writes some facts, and Luke writes other facts. But they're not facts that are in conflict. They're facts that are complementary to one another. In Matthew chapter 2, remember, starting verse uh, 1, now after Jesus was born, got some clues here, after Jesus was born, Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Remember, Luke gives us historical footnotes, Caesar in the days of Caesar Augustus, the days of Quirinius, the days of Herod. Matthew tells us Herod was still the king, but it was after Jesus was born. Wise men came from the east, most likely Persia. They come from the east. We've seen his star. They come to Herod in verse 3. Herod's trouble, all Jerusalem with him. He gathers together all the scribes and all the priests and all the chief priests in verse 4. In verse 5, they, re- they remind him that it's written in the law that he would come out of Bethlehem. So the wise men or the magi decide, well, if Bethlehem's where he is, how about we go find him there? Herod says, great idea. You find him, I'll worship him. I'll kill him, right? That's what he says to his, to his men around him. Side note. You find him. They go down to Bethlehem. They search for the young child. They do find him. And so when the wise men or the magi find Jesus, they find him. Where does it say? You come down to, uh, come down to verse 10 and verse 11. When they come into the house, that's not a stable, is it? There's no manger scene here. They're at a house now. And so we know that Jesus, at this point, when the wise men from the east come, 
They find Jesus. He's living in Bethlehem in a house, but he's still a young child, verse 11. And when the young child, when they saw the young child, that's when they give the presence of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In verse 12, divinely warned, they don't go back to Herod. They go back to Persia or back to the east. Verse 13, Joseph is given a dream by the angel of the Lord take the young child to Egypt, and Joseph leaves from Bethlehem down to Egypt. Go back to Luke now. This is where people who don't know the Scriptures or are looking to make a case against the Scriptures or simply they're skeptics will actually maybe look at Luke and say, well, the Luke, and, Luke and Matthew are in conflict with one another, but they're not. Let's take a look. Verse 39 This is what Luke records. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Well, again, if you're under the misconception that the nativity scene includes wise men and camels and shepherds, these would be in conflict, but that's not what the Scriptures tell us. They're two different scenes at two different times. And there's some significant time period in between. Jesus, at this point, verse 39, so when they had performed all things according to the law, how many days are we talking about there? Approximately 40, maybe a day or two if they stayed in Jerusalem a couple other days. Remember, Jesus, circumcised on the eighth day, they have to wait according to the law of Moses for Mary's purification to be done, 40 days. As soon as the 40 days are done, They're five miles south of Jerusalem. Where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem's only five miles south. They make the small journey, much smaller than going to Nazareth, up into Jerusalem to go to the temple, all for the turtle doves. That's at the 40 or 41st day. When they're done, they return not to Bethlehem, according to Luke. Where do they return? Nazareth. They return to Nazareth. Now, two things are possible here. Either Luke is skipping, which is possible. I don't think, I think that this is less probable, but it's possible. Either Luke is skipping the entirety of everything in Egypt and just referring to the rest of his life from Egypt to uh, Jesus living in Nazareth, because we know he comes back from Nazareth for the feast of Passover when he's 12. He's not coming from Egypt. He comes down from Nazareth. Are you following me? i got a map in a second. You'll really understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so all of this time, Jesus is, um, or, or all, in, in according to Luke anyway, Luke may be just, a, just skipping over and going from Egypt to Nazareth. I, I don't think that's what Luke did. Uh, pull up the first slide. What do I take? If you're taking notes this morning, In addition to uh, the title of the message, just two sections we'll look at. First, the timeline and travel, and second, the temple and training. The timeline and travel, and the temple and training. All right, I made this slide. I did not make make the timeline in there. There's numerous timelines available you can go and search for. Uh, Don't pay too much attention to the timeline, because what we don't know is precisely, even Herod didn't know exactly how old Jesus was, he said, kill all the young children from what? Two and down. So Herod wasn't even absolutely sure exactly how old Jesus was, which makes the timeline, you know, it could have been from uh, 
4 BC out to 4 BC, uh, out to 5 or whatever, uh, or out to, I'm sorry, 2 or maybe even 1 BC. Uh, we don't know the full length of timeline. The parts that we know really clearly are the early ones, like 8 days plus the 33 days, because that is uh, definitively marked in the text. Luke is very clear in telling us what takes place. So we know those days, then the length of times within a year, soon after, a few days. Um, but anyway, I want to point out to you, uh, on the far left, Luke records what we know as the shepherds coming to Bethlehem the night of Jesus' birth, right? Luke tells us that shepherds were told, remember, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Shepherds come night in Bethlehem, the night Jesus is born, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. Eight days after his birth, he circumcised. If scriptures tell us this. These are not things that we have to wonder about. Uh, do we kind of fit it in there? No, we know it happened because the scriptures tell us. Then, although I probably put 32 days there, uh, whoever made this timeline put 33, but anyway, nevertheless, because the 33 day is part of day 8, is the way I understand it, because it's a full 40, that would be 41. But regardless of whether it's 40 or 41, we know Jesus is presented to the Lord in Jerusalem, and according to Luke, he returns where? To Nazareth. Well, Jesus didn't return. Mary and Joseph hold him, and he gets on the donkey with, with his mother, and they go back up to Nazareth. He would be like 41, 42 days old, going back up to Nazareth. Now, that makes sense for a lot of reasons. How many of you, when you had a child, wanted other people in the family to meet your child? Where was the rest of Jesus' family during this time? Almost all of them were in Nazareth. The ones that weren't in Nazareth were also in Judea, which includes Zacharias and Elizabeth, and they would have been able to introduce Jesus either in Jerusalem or perhaps a little north of Jerusalem, up in the Judean hills, which is we know where Zacharias and, and Elizabeth were from. And they could hit family on the way. How many of you ever, when you go on a trip, you hit multiple families while, as you go? All right, we're gonna, when we go south, we can hit the ones in Jacksonville, then we can hit the ones in Orlando, then we can get to Palm Beach. Makes perfect sense. You didn't invent that idea. People have been doing this for thousands of years. So when they go back to Nazareth, they've got a brand new baby. They can show the family members. And again, I'm not telling you that's what happened. I'm saying if Luke says they return to Nazareth, and he actually means exactly that because everything else he writes is a historical, accurate, exact if Luke says, as soon as they performed the law, I take him at his word, as soon as the law was performed, they went back to Nazareth. Now, if they did do that, this is the only part that I've highlighted in that beige brown. We don't exactly know for certain how this piece of the puzzle fits. But Joseph, Mary, and Jesus returned from Nazareth back to Bethlehem, piece of cake. They have two years to do this, right? It doesn't take... Remember, they're already in Jerusalem, so they're already headed north by five miles to go all the way up into Nazareth, present Jesus to family members. Here's our new son, our firstborn son. He's been circumcised. We presented him in the temple. But Joseph, remember, he was not intending to go to Bethlehem. He got forced to go to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus says you have to go there for what? A census. He has to go to Bethlehem. He goes to Bethlehem. That's where all his ancestors are. 
But the pull could have been strong as well because now his firstborn son, who's of the household of David, was literally born in Bethlehem. Jesus did not just go to Bethlehem. He was born there just like David. The pull might have gotten strong on Joseph or the Holy Spirit might have said, go back to Bethlehem. Why go back to Bethlehem? Because you'll find I have a house ready for you and you'll have work. There's a million reasons. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, if we take Luke's chronology exactly as it says, then Jesus and Mary have to travel back. How many have ever gone somewhere and gone back? Well, I thought only we do that stuff. Now, we already know they take a couple of trips for certain. The only one we don't know for certain is how they get from Nazareth or when they get from Nazareth back to Bethlehem. They have to be in Bethlehem. They have an appointment with Magi that they don't know about yet. Right? It, here's the funny thing. Here they are. Here's if, let's assume that they do exactly what Luke says. They're on their way. They're on their way north back home to Nazareth where God's going to make them do a U-turn at some point for certain. They have to go back to Bethlehem because they don't know while they're heading this way, Magi are heading this way. They're going to have to make a U-turn to meet up. This is how God worked. In your life, he makes you take U-turns and you can look back in hindsight and say, now I realize that. We were supposed to go testify to family, tell them about this great testimony in our life, and that was about it. I thought I was there to get Christmas presents, but it turns out I was there to witness to my family, right? Those kind of things happen in our own life as well. All right, so then everything on the top line, everything to the first 40 days is in Luke Luke, Luke. Luke basically, remember in Luke chapter 1, he says to Theopolis, he says, it seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of all things. Matthew was already written. Luke says, because I have a good understanding of all the facts, it seemed very, uh, th- th- that I would write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis. What it appears that Luke does, is Luke fills in some blanks that Matthew didn't cover. Isn't that interesting? Because Matthew picks it up with Jesus being somewhere between the ages of zero and two, but reality probably between one and two, right? And Luke says, well, since Matthew covered that period, I'll cover the other. And he even goes further back. He even tells us about the birth of who? John the Baptist, which no one else wrote about. So Luke decides, because no one else had written about, of course the Holy Spirit told him to do this, because no one else had written about John the Baptist, I will. Because no one wrote about Jesus from zero birth all the way up until the Magi, I will. And that's what he appears to do. Luke, Luke, Luke. Then Matthew picks up, of course Matthew had already written this, Matthew tells us about the Magi meeting in Bethlehem at the house. They have a house. It's probably a rented house, but they have a house. Joseph probably working there. He probably has distant relatives that finally realized, hey, you do exist. Why don't you hang out here in Bethlehem? Don't be a Galilean. You're a Judean at heart, right? Come down here again. We don't know exactly how it worked, but they are there when the wise men get there. Now, the bottom underneath here is all the non-Mary and Joseph up top line, Luke, 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 but all that is Mary and Joseph and Jesus underneath Magi, 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 Herod, Herod. Magi come to worship. They, bring their, they come first to Jerusalem. Herod says, he's not here. They all figure out, 
It's got to be Bethlehem. They head to Bethlehem. They present their gifts. They're warned not to go back to Herod. Herod is livid when they don't come back. He slaughters all the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas under the age of two. Herod dies after Herod's death. Matthew records that Jesus comes back from Nazareth, or back from Egypt, straight to Nazareth, because the angel tells Joseph, it's okay now, Herod's gone. Take a look at the next, the only other slide I made. And this one shows the next slide here. I've got a map that kind of points this out. Picture, if you will, a map of Israel. I promise there is one. If there isn't one, I can, I can diagram it in the air for you, but I'll give it one more second, and if not, I'll just tell you about it. Okay. Just hit full screen on that. And what I've... Sh- Whoops. All right. So it'll be hard to see, but up top there... The black line, Mary and Joseph come down for the census. They have to. The red line, Bethlehem to Jerusalem, they have to do the dedication, day 40. From there, Luke says they go back to Nazareth. That's the red line. Up to Jerusalem, do the dedication, head on home, perhaps see family, perhaps tell about the miracle. No one in Nazareth would know all the things that they had just experienced in the last 40, 50 days, whatever. At some point, they end up back in Bethlehem. So again, the timeline works. Don't worry if this is exactly how God did it, but we know that the two times, my point is, Matthew and Luke fit like a glove, an absolute glove from a timeline perspective. They return from Nazareth back to Bethlehem, and while they're in Bethlehem, the angel says, head to Egypt, so they or in Bethlehem for whatever period of time, six months, a year. Then from Bethlehem, they flee to Egypt. Jesus is in Egypt as a young child, probably no more than two or three when he heads back. Return from Egypt, the angel says, hey, Herod's dead. Purple line, straight up. That would be the easiest route too, by the way, straight back to Nazareth. And Jesus is in Nazareth. Now turn back to your Bibles. At the age of what? 12. And he's probably been back in Nazareth for 8, 9, 10 years now. But all that would take place in a span of probably no more than 2 to 3 years, maybe 2 to 4 years. Make sense? And there's lots of time for many other trips in between, really. Because these were well established. Notice that uh, Joseph and Mary aren't aren't all that unaccustomed family-wise into these kind of trips anyway. What does the text tell us? His parents went to Jerusalem how often? Verse 41. Every year. It's about a 70-mile journey. They did it every year. Not every Jew even was willing to make that trip every year. Only those that were really devout and believed that they must follow the law of God would go every year. Not every Christian is willing to do all the things that Christ asked them to do. Only those that say, yes, Lord, thy will be done. Every year. So we know that family ways, it was in the DNA of Joseph and Mary from their family to observe it every year. So again, these trips, 
not as big a deal, although they were still hard, they were still harsh, they were still difficult, but they were people committed to doing what God said to do in spite of the difficult. They would go to Jerusalem every year. If you're taking notes, this is under, still under uh, the timeline and travel, that they would go down every single year. They go back to Nazareth. Uh, I want to go one, one, one last point on that. Um, again, even everything I've showed you, skeptics will still be skeptics, won't they? There'll still be somebody, oh, well, you can't prove that. Yeah, it fits like a glove, but... But the same point to them, you can't prove that it doesn't fit, because it absolutely does fit. You have to lie and say that Luke meant this, that he only went here, and Matthew meant this, when I can show them, I can show any skeptic clearly the two authors are complementary to each other. One is picking up where the other one left off. And it's kind of like this. If I gave you, if you ran into someone or if, if, if someone ran into me and said, tell me something about yourself. Hey, tell me about your life. You get three minutes. You ever ask someone to give their testimony? You can get the one-hour version. You can get the five-minute version. You have to coach people which version, depending on the format, right? Because they can give you the long exhaust. If I said, well, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. I knew to Virginia when I was 12. I graduated from college in Miami. I got saved in Fort Lauderdale, and I came to Richmond in 2002. All true. I left out a lot. I left out how long I lived in South Florida. I left out a summer I lived in Pennsylvania. I left out a summer I lived in New Jersey when I was 16. I left out that my senior year in high school was in Vero Beach, Florida, that I lived five years in Charlotte. Guess what? They all fit in my timeline. If I didn't write those aspects, but someone else did and wrote them separately, some skeptic would say, that ain't true. He never mentioned Charlotte. That ain't true. He never mentioned a summer in Pennsylvania. That's not true. He never mentioned a summer in New Jersey. And where, did, where, where does Vero Beach, Florida fit in? Then if I unroll the whole time, ah, like, oh, that fits perfectly. That's why I wanted to show you that all of that, you've got to look at it sometimes in a linear view and say, God knows exactly what he's doing. It fits like a glove. There's Muslim clerics that will tell you that Jesus went straight to Egypt, and that's why he was more Islam than he is a Savior that died on a cross. They don't believe. And, and, and Islam does not believe that God's Son was crucified. They don't believe that God would even have a crucified son. So all these things, understanding the puzzle of the timeline, understanding that this family was one that not only uh, even before having Jesus was used to travel, but all of these things make perfect sense when you look at it in the context of the whole counsel of God. That's why we have to study the whole Bible and teach the whole Bible and understand where it all fits. Let's take a look at our closing minutes, uh, the temple and the training here. Uh, the child grew. We'll come back to verse 40. It's very much tied to verse 52. Matter of fact, you'll see that they're, they're very similar verses. Verse 40 and verse 52, the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And you can compare that to verse 52 as well. But his parents, as I mentioned, they would go to Jerusalem every single year. 
Uh, they were faithful to attend, especially when you look at this distance. Not everybody, round trip of 140 miles, difficult, hot. You lose work time. This is one of the things that really bothers people about following Christ. God will ask you to do things that will reduce your productivity in the business world or in the material world or in whatever, but God's not interested in our success in planet Earth. He's interested in us really making the impact to eternity that he has already predestined each of us to walk in. Amen? So their family was okay with, all right, you realize when we travel down Jerusalem, this is going to cut into vacation money. This is going to take away some of our carpentry time. Some of our feet are going to get blistered. But we'll have the favor of God of walking in obedience. You know, a lot of people actually are willing to sacrifice the other. I don't care about the favor of God. If I if I've work out the details, we'll have more money in the bank account. We'll have more time to do what we want to do, and hopefully God will be happy that I prayed for two minutes today. Right? That wasn't the, that wasn't the mindset of Joseph and Mary and their family. It was, no, Lord, all the days belong to you. The whole calendar belongs to you. And the Lord had commanded they were to go up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. You can't say, well, we're not going to go anyway because we just don't have time. But a lot of people do do that, don't they? And we've all been guilty of it. I have too. We've all been guilty of just saying, well, I can't fit that in. What if God says, I'm not asking you to fit it in. I'm saying, do it, whatever it is. And they would go. Now, the Passover is a one-day feast. One-day feast. But right after that becomes the one-week Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can read about this. Uh, I love when we get to refer back to what... What book did we finish in the Old Testament most recently? Exodus. I told you when I said we start Luke, I would refer back to Exodus numerous times. Here's another one. Exodus 23, verses 14 through 19 tells us Feast of Passover, one day. Feast of Unleavened Bread immediately follows. So they were there, and after they spend the time at the Passover feast, according to the custom of the feast, there they are. The, Jesus, we don't know how long they stayed, but nevertheless, however long they stayed, when they left, they're in a big caravan. Lots of family. In some families, my wife's family is more like this than my family. In my wife's family, cousins are like brothers and sisters. In my family, cousins are like strangers <laughs> that you find out they exist, Right? But in my wife's family, they're like brothers and sisters. And in some families, when they're really close, the aunt can say, oh, I got them. You ever have those kind of family reunions? But things can get messed up, even in ancient times like this, right? Big group of people. I know Jesus was running around with John the Baptist. The two of them were playing. They're about the same age. And if we don't know where exactly... Elizabeth, and uh, if they lived north of Jerusalem, which I believe that they did, they could have been a stop on the way. See you all later. we got to keep going north. But whatever. Some of the boys were playing together. Mary says, is Jesus with you all? Yeah, he's with us. At some point, 
He gets separated, and he heads to the temple. They've already gone a full day's journey north. Talk about feeling like a really bad parent. You've been entrusted with Jesus, the Son of God, and you have no idea where he is. Can you imagine this? This is, God has a sense of humor, I believe. The, 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 the setting for anyone that knew them, you realize you've lost the Messiah. Now, not everyone would know that, but maybe Elizabeth and Zachariah would know it, or some, some would look at them like, what do you mean you lost the Son of God? He's not in the caravan. He's nowhere to be found. Mary tells us that they were extremely anxious about this. You've been given one task. Raise the Son of God to the age of 30. Where is he? We have no idea. Now, interestingly enough, even when we were in Israel uh, back uh, 10 months ago, culturally, one of the things that just was stunning to me, uh, and I, had, I caught pictures, those of you that saw the slideshow I did, um, and I'm sure that uh, my wife and Russ, well, I know that they were uh, amazed at this as well, is how often, even Jerusalem today, they have no issues with, like America, they don't have the issues with uh, child abduction and pedophilia and stuff. That there was, I, I took pictures, remember, of little like three-year-old girls walking blocks from their parents' house together in little Hello Kitty backpacks. Blocks from their parents' house and no one touches or harms them. Culturally, some of that that's there today was even there then. So it was not uncommon for, again, cousins play, mix around, play around. Hey, caravan's moving on. Someone has him. Someone didn't have him this time. Not because anyone was asleep on the job, but because Jesus, unlike most other children, was more interested in going up to the temple and talking to priests. The other boys are sword fighting and all this other stuff, right? Throwing rocks, doing donuts on the ground, all kinds of stuff. Not that Jesus didn't do any of that, but at some point, he goes into the temple, and what takes place there is amazing, isn't it? We don't have, when we get to heaven, you'll get to hear the whole story. Wouldn't that be great? But he goes into the temple, he lingers there. He's, whether he was already in the temple when the caravan left or whether he went to the temple after the caravan, we don't know. He goes into the temple. He's in there. It takes a full three days for he's located because they've gone a day north. Then they have to travel a day back. That's two days. And then they search Jerusalem a third day. And Jesus says, why wouldn't you come straight to the temple? Where would you think I would be? I love the word. I love the presence of God. I love the Holy of Holies. I love the testimony. I love the Ark of the Covenant. All these are of me. He doesn't say all that, but all that is in the backdrop of why did you seek me? But he, while he's there, he is asking questions of the priest. Now, you can imagine the questions he's asking them. He know, he's 12 years old, and he knows the whole Word of God. But he doesn't, not in pridefulness, he doesn't start showing. He asks genuine questions of them. But he probably asks some questions that they, it says that they were astonished. 
or first in verse 46, look at verse 46. Now it was after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And it goes on, it says, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus is asking them questions. I can imagine some of them. So why do you suppose Noah, fill in the blank, so why do you suppose Moses did such and so? Why do you suppose, and they were, and they were like, that's a good question. What do you think? And then Jesus would tell them what he think. They're like, that's amazing. We never thought of that. How old are you again? Twelve. Who's your parents? Mary and Joseph. Where are they? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I haven't seen them in three days. How are you here at 12 years old and you haven't seen... Well, I presume they're in a caravan headed north. But the Holy Spirit told me they'll be back shortly. You know? Here he is amazing, asking these questions, amazing them. You know, Psalm 8, 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength. That God, out of the mouth of this little child, would go and speak forth truth, even at a young age, the age of 12. I think this also reminds us, parents, Jesus is 12 years old. 12-year-olds are not too young to be witnesses for God. Around the world, God's used some amazing children. There's stories in India where we've got 8, 9, 10-year-olds leading Bible studies. We, we sell short in America. We think, you know, they, no one can really follow God until they're maybe like 21, 22. Not everybody thinks that, I'm saying. But there's many people that, that have that mindset. They need to kind of like just goof off for the first 16, 17 years. But no. I want, I want my kids to have fun, but also to learn the Word of God and to know the right questions to ask of their Sunday school teachers, to be able to answer questions. This wasn't all of Jesus' supernatural wisdom, though much of it was. A lot of it was he was also a child like his relative John the Baptist that was committed to knowing the ways of the Lord. Certainly his divine nature is in there as well because not many children will astonish with the answers. We, we, certainly, re, uh, we certainly respect that that is an aspect here, but Hebrews 5.8, we know that as far as Jesus learning, it says in Hebrews 5.8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. Jesus learned from his father, but he also was an obedient son to his parents. He did learn from his father. He learned carpentry from Joseph. Not that he couldn't have divinely just known it, but God allowed him to learn these things. Because remember, Jesus was not all man, but not all God. He was all man and all God. And he would walk in his total humanity, and yet when the Father chose and saw fit, his Godhead would shine forth at times as well. But he was always all man, submitting himself to his parents. This was training for his parents too, because his parents, they needed, they need, they needed to be trained too, because even though Jesus had to be trained as a child, I'm trained by the Lord for ministry up to the age of 30. His parents were being trained too. You're being trained as parents, aren't you? You're like, yeah, I learned another lesson last week. I didn't lose anyone for three days, but I about lose my mind for a day or two or something like that. 
We, lo- we learn things as well. Now, Jesus, we know he was obedient to the fifth commandment. He wasn't disobedient. He did not defy any order. The Father just, at some point, says, go into the temple. I've got some priests I need you to influence. That was his Father's business. Do you know Jesus cares about lost priests that know the law but don't know God? Do you know Jesus would spend an entire ministry talking to priests who were lost and did not know the Father, but they thought they did because they knew the law? Even at the age of 12, he has a heart for men that know a lot of Scripture but don't know God. God has a heart for an American church that knows a lot of Scripture, but in many cases doesn't know God. True? And his parents would later, Mary treasures these things in her heart. She understands that even at the age of 12, he's bidding, he's calling Jerusalem to himself in a sense. He's asking questions. He's answering questions. He's provoking them to think, who might Isaiah be talking about in the 53rd chapter? They don't know. If that discussion came up, it was him. If it came up. Maybe it did. We'll know when we get to heaven. Mary and Joseph, they had to learn to trust God that Jesus' life and his path, remember that Simeon had said, He's going to be the cause of the rise and fall of many, and you're going to be pierced. It's going to hurt. You have to understand that the Father, this is Mary and Joseph having to learn this lesson, the Father will have Jesus do some things that you won't always understand. Mary learned this lesson in John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, at Jesus' first miracle. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to you do, do it. Isn't that interesting? Mary came to learn that Jesus would not always do things that she would completely understand and that Joseph would completely understand. Although he would be obedient to them, he might say something to someone, he might feel led to pray a certain way, he might, but again, under the obedience of the household, yes, but she recognized that this is God's son with a very special calling. And we have to make sure that we understand what's God teaching us? What's he teaching us? That even after being separated for three days, God's plan wasn't going to be thwarted. No one was going to capture God's son. He was still going to go to the cross. He was still going to make it to where he was supposed to be. Let's look at the last uh, point here. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Know that this is very similar, as I mentioned, to verse 40. He, the child became strong and spirit-filled with wisdom and the grace of God. Now, Jesus was trained by the Lord, trained by his parents, led by the Holy Spirit. You and I have all the same things. We have God as our Heavenly Father. As Michael mentioned, we have the fellowship of the saints that sharpen us. We have teachers and pastors that God has given that actually instruct us in righteousness. I do too. I listen to other men of God and how they've learned over the years, especially men that are older, uh, that have gone before us, reading, understanding. Jesus did all those same things. He listened to the scribes. He listened to the priest. He listened to his father. He listened and obeyed his mother. But ultimately, all that's under the canopy of who? God the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit. It all works together. That's why God's given parents to children. That's why God's given pastors and elders 
and leaders and evangelists and all of these things. And I don't even know how it all works together, but I know that God has it all working together, doesn't he? And all of it is under the work of the Lord for training us up. Hebrews 5.8 tells, I, I mentioned um, the first part of it, uh, but in actually John 5.19, uh, Jesus said, Most surely I say to you, the Son, of, uh, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son does also in like manner. The way God puts it in harmony is that if we're godly and following the Lord, kids, mom and dad, will all be in vertical alignment with the will of the Father. That Jesus' parents would submit unto the Father. Father's here, parents underneath, and Jesus would always be walking in obedience to the fifth commandment, but also as parents in our obedience to God, they're being trained by the Lord, but Jesus is also being trained by the Lord. My heavenly Father is the same as my daughter's heavenly Father. We have the same Father. I will give the same instructions that they should expect to get from the Scriptures. One source, have we not one Father, the Scriptures say. Have we not one Father? All of us, those in Japan, those in India, we're going to get the same training and same teaching. Now, God will work differently in our lives, but we're all going to receive the same training are we receiving it? First Peter 2, 2 says, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Training is one thing, but if you don't receive it, you don't grow. Amen? You have to receive the word of God to grow. First Timothy 14 says, 4, 15 says to meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Jesus' progress was evident. He increased in favor with both man and God. Now, before he started preaching of a message of repentance, a lot of people loved what they saw. You realize that? He was kind. He was compassionate. He worked harder than the other carpenters. He did not rip his clients off. He gave them better work than they paid for. People like that, by the way. No, we want to give you the car for a thousand less. Uh, what? He was honorable. He was honest. He grew in favor with man and, of course, God, because he always pleased God. This was the child that never sinned, not even once. His parents were a little agitated at themselves, but really not him. Everyone that met Jesus said, he's amazing. He speaks kindness. He's honest as the day is long. He does great work. He honors his parents. He'll go the extra mile. I bet you the things that Jesus taught, he had actually manifested in his life. If a Roman soldier asks you to carry a, a coat for a mile, carry it what? Two. People might have seen him do some of these things. Again, these aren't miracles. This was his humility. Again, the Gnostic stuff have all these uh, goofy things that they attribute to him that there's no evidence. But why believe when he increased in favor with man, man said, there's a man that can be trusted. It would later when he would preach the hard messages of repentance, that's when people got really agitated. Because then their hearts were being convicted. He's not just helping them, he's telling them they must change. But that comes later. Here in these years, he increases in wisdom and favor 
with God and men. Even men say, he's a great neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is a great neighbor, great brother, great cousin, helpful, all these things. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells us to let our light show shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are we doing that? Are we growing in favor? You know, we should be in favor with men too, just with our work ethic and our honesty, our timeliness, keeping our word, all of those things. Those things should be attributes. But then when we present truth, there's not a bunch of hypocrisy to cloud the message, right? Once Jesus would speak forth truth, nobody could assault his character. They could only assault the message. And that's the way it should be with us, amen? That we grow to the point that we walk and yield to the Lord in such a way that people know that we truly believe and love the Lord and that it's God working in us. I'll close with a statement by Tozer. He said, God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. This was true for Jesus. This was true for Mary. It's true for Joseph. It's true for you and I. We're to yield and trust God's plan, his timeline in our life, his travels where he's going to send us, his commands that we have to obey, his commands to be humble and honest and to be uh, a light in a, in a dark world, all of these things. In that respect, nothing has changed. God's still doing the same thing with us. Amen?